Hi there, this is Dr. Tracy Jones. Thanks for tuning in to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership. Our guest today is Dr. Richmond Wandera. Richmond is the president of Pastors Discipleship Network, and Richmond trains up pastors in Kampala, Uganda. Richmond is a leader, a speaker, an advocate, a visionary, and you are going to love what he has to share about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with tremendous leaders from all over the globe on what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And today, it is an absolute tremendous honor to have the one, the only Dr. Richmond Wandera as my guest. Dr. Wandera is the president of the Pastors Discipleship Network. He is the pastor at New Life Church. He is a leader, speaker, advocate. He's located in Kampala, Uganda. And I met Richmond, what, three or four years ago in our cohort, in our PhD program through Lancaster Bible College. So uh, this is a, a great leader that I have had the joy of serving, worshiping, and learning from. Dr. Wandera, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much, Dr. Tracy Jones. I'm, I've been looking forward to this because I think um, a lot of the literature has a lot from the Western perspective, and I'm really honored to reflect on some of the themes from an African perspective and use some African illustrations to hopefully uh, communicate some uh, useful content uh, if, if the listeners find that useful. Well, that would be beautiful. And for our listeners out there, I had the benefit of going out and visiting Richmond um, a little over a year ago uh, before all this hit. I'm so glad I got to do that. And that was a week that truly changed my life. Got to worship and preach with the women out there. Got to see his beautiful country. And uh, just, I, I, I want at the end you to tell them about what you're doing out there with your ministry, Richmond. Um, but we'll go ahead and get started. So my father gave a speech called The Price of Leadership. And in it, he talked talks about the four things that every aspiring leader is going to have to pay pretty much every day, as long as they're in the leadership a chair. And um, leadership is not for the faint of heart. Uh, you're going to get your nose bloodied, your knuckles bloodied, but it is a beautiful thing. And we are called um, by God with the God seed in us to be leaders. So Richmond, the first uh, price that my father said is that there's the price you're going to pay is loneliness as a leader. And we've all heard that said, you know, it's lonely at the top and you're, you're the one at the top that it all rests on. But can you explain to me in your leadership journey and your evolution as a leader in your growth, what loneliness has meant for you, um, where there's seasons of loneliness, and what you would recommend to some of our other uh, leaders out there that may be in a season of loneliness right now? Well, I'll begin by sharing a little bit of my journey. I'm an accountant by training, and I worked with KPMG in Uganda and had a wonderful career in accounting. And I had a different vision for my life until um, I got the invitation from our pastorate to join their pastoral team because I was very active in the church, but I was also very diligent in studying the word of God. And I desired to explain, um, especially that which many of my friends or people who were seeking were not able to understand. And uh, I, I, I erred or moved 
a lot towards um, pastoring without knowing, really, because I never wanted to be a pastor. I thought a pastor is a guy who's basically carrying everybody's burdens on his shoulders and um, he can't even carry his own, so that's a bad career or bad place to go. And, um, and there I was um, being invited to leave accounting and to join the pastorate. And, uh, but there's something that happened in my own uh, family that made it a little bit of, a little bit an easier decision. Um, my mother had become a Christian. And after she became a Christian, I could literally see a difference in her life. And a part, mom who was completely downtrodden and constantly in a place of darkness and missing my father who had gone to be with the Lord when I was eight years old. And every time saying, look, this would not be happening to my children if my dad's, my dad, her husband, Stephen, was around. This would, and I could see this change happening in my mother's life, literally. And she began telling me and, and, my, and my siblings about her favorite, her favorite verse, which was um, that, that Christ is the father to the fatherless and the husband of widows. And in my mother's loneliness, she found comfort in that verse. And I began to, to look around the community that I stayed in. And many people were lonely and struggling. And those that were at the top of leadership were twice lonely because they had to somehow find solutions to help them who were struggling. But they themselves needed to drink of their own medicine. And um, so it was in that time that I began to realize the gospel has uh, within it an answer to a lot of my community's questions. And so that made it a little bit easy uh, for me to begin to slowly move away from accounting and into the pastorate. Mm. But when I went into the pastorate, I, I encountered a very unique form of loneliness that is caused by limited skilled people around the leader. And I, I began to, I was embraced by the church as, as their pastor, uh, but I wasn't trained to be a pastor. Um, I live in a country which over 70% of our population is below the age of 30 years. And 15% of the 70% is below the age of 15. It's a very, very young country. The second, the second ranking youngest country in the world. And so I, I began to realize I have very limited, skilled people around me. Oh. I also have very limited people I can go to asking for help. Mm. And in a country where there's a lot of pedestaling or putting leaders on a pedestal, mm -hmm. you don't want to go asking for help too much. And so I, that was the first time when I began to feel alone. I began to feel a little bit lonely. And, and this is a very unique form of loneliness that is caused by limited skill, limited skill of people around the leader. And um, I experienced that, Tracy. And, and that, that almost drowned me because mm. first it took away my confidence. And then it took away my sense of acceptance because even though the people I was leading had accepted me, I began to feel, am I skilled enough to live them? Am I the mm -hmm. right person to live? So this internal conversation mysteriously led me to a very unique form of loneliness that I began to feel alone and feel in some way um, just strangely lonely. And I began to crave then. I said, I began to pray, Lord, could you provide 
people around me, not just the company, uh, but people who can understand what I'm talking about and people who can speak into my life. And so I just didn't need people. I needed people who understood where I was at and people who could speak and people who could speak directly to me. Mm -hmm. And so, Tracy, that was my first entrance into a unique form of loneliness I hadn't mm. uh, um, ever, ever considered. And then within that, there was the next layer, which was a cultural form of practice and expectation of the leader. In Uganda, we celebrate what in the West would be looked down on. So this idea of power distance. When a leader is installed or accepted as a leader, they expect them to be a little bit removed. So not easily accessible. Okay. Uh, you don't just walk to your pastor and greet them. You don't oh. just uh, come and give them a hug because uh, you expect some distance like, like, hey, hey, this is the anointed man of God. He's our leader. Mm -hmm. You don't just come just taking things casually and, and greet them. No. It's the idea of kings walking their presence without them summoning them. It's that, that idea. And, and so culturally, I, I began to be treated that way. And what people thought was to my benefit or would make me feel good actually began to make me feel more lonely because now I felt alone more and more. Mm -hmm. The people that I could casually talk to or make jokes with and to go out for, for, for a bite. And now I can't do that anymore. And then I began to be stripped off of the people that, that I valued and, and the company that, that, um, that was quite enjoyable for me as a leader. And that was another form of uh, loneliness that began to, to enter into my life. And just to, to stretch this out a little, um, a leader has to redefine the relationships they'll give their time. And, and once, they, once they decide that this is the kind of person I will give my time to, that is a choice that the leader makes. But if that choice is not made carefully, it could lead to loneliness. I have seen friends who've, who've attended a lot of talks on uh, hey, as a leader, you've got to choose carefully who you hang out with and you don't need more than this number of people, slim this number down, don't hang out with. And, and as they practice that and begin to delete numbers from their phone or take people out of their lives and think, okay, now I have, Jesus had 12, that was Jesus, now I have three. And, and these are the three people I'll hang out with. Um, there is a place for that. But I do think that sometimes that vision um, takes away the variety of all that you need as a person hmm. for life and for godliness. Wow. And um, I, I believe in um, uh, selection. I believe in choice of, of company. But I, I believe that extreme care has to be taken, that you're not taking away um, that which you need. Uh, sometimes we think we need the top skilled people only in our lives. And we forget that we don't just need people who, um, who align with what we are. We need people who make us better, uh, mm. who, who show we can be better. And so as we're speaking into their lives and as we are helping them grow and get stretched, 
we too are getting stretched. As someone once said to me that the person who teaches learns twice. And, and we need the weak and we need the uninformed and those who need what we have. And, and, and sometimes there's an off chance that actually the person who you think you don't need knows something that you don't know. Right. And, and I think the elements of that that come together. And if you don't have that, your inner self knows it. So loneliness is extremely hard to define. It's, it's, it's not just a relational loneliness. It's a skill. It's, and your body can tell you because your body is not interested in lying to you. It, it will tell you that I feel lonely. You, I may have everything else, but I do feel lonely. And, and I felt that, Tracy. I did feel that. I felt like, yes, skill-wise, I, I had few people that I could really interact with at the level that I was leading. And culturally, I had been removed and put on this pedestal that basically, basically naturally themed the number of people I would hang out with. But relationally, I also began to kind of take, change my posture to adapt my new position. And then I began to sieve out relationships basically throughout people that I did not know I needed. And the literature did not tell me I needed those people. I thought, no, you've got to choose high, 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 high. And... I discovered I needed low, 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 so that wow. it would keep me reminded of, of, of so much that my, my, my inner self needed in order to feel complete. You know, you need that reality that the world is not all. The world is uh, in a particular way, and to see it accurately helps your leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I, I really, really struggled. And uh, Tracy, you know that my dissertation was uh, on how people in Uganda who are living in a country that does not have a lot of mentors, a lot of the older generation that can pour into the younger generation, uh, these emerging leaders who have to figure out life on their own, what are they feeling? And the number one sentiment was loneliness. They're feeling lonely. They felt alone and abandoned in, in, in a sense. And that's why loneliness and abandonment kind of in my mind is connected. And, 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 and the key, I think, is some of what I've already talked about, but some of the solutions that come to my mind are um, intentionally um, seeking to come up with a right, clear view of the world, a good, accurate, biblical worldview. The world is broken, and you need to see it, and you need to keep in that space of brokenness if you're going to engage with the world in a place that no part of you feels lonely. Mm. And then the other part is intentionally seeking out fellowship. Uh, I, I had to do this, uh, Tracy, I had to do this. I had to seek out fellowship. And, and, and in, the, in the West, I, I, when I was in the United States, I see that there was, there was some meetings or gatherings of CEOs and there are some clubs and some groups, which in Uganda we did not have. And, and I had to seek out the few that existed so I could be um, a part of some of these, these clubs or part of these CEO groups. And uh, some people take that lightly. They shouldn't. They shouldn't because if they do, they will miss out on what that provides that could easily thin out uh, some of the loneliness. You know, leaders sometimes think that they're the only ones who are going through what they're going through. Right. Until it's somebody else and they realize, ah, right. oh, wait a minute. It's not that bad, actually. <laughs> and, and, and Tracy, I'll, I'll tell you just a, a side story of, of uh, when I was leading Pastors Discipleship Network, 
some things were working and some things were just not working, no matter how hard I tried. Okay. And I thought I was the problem. And then I thought all my senior staff were the problem. And then I thought, God, if you just provided different people to me, this organization would be so much better. Until I began to be part of this this group of people, as they reflect on the organizations, I realized that we were just at that stage in the organization's growth that that was inevitable. It had to happen to force change from within. Mm. And I could never know that I would keep uh, suffering from the pains of loneliness and the consequences of staying in that place if I hadn't sought out deliberately uh, these fellowships. Now, obviously, I'm speaking of professional fellowships here. But there are other kinds of fellowships uh, that, that are not necessarily people that might be speaking business, but are just able to remind us of the world in which we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible has this old Hebrew word, koinonia, fellowship, uh, where, where, where Paul talks about both to leader and loyalty alike and says to them, do not give up the habit of meeting together. And, and, and this is a deliberate and intentional move every leader has to make. Mm. They have to decide, I will gather with fellow believers. I will gather with people and just be, and mm-hmm. just be among people. It's a choice. And I right. think it's so much easier in our African space. And, and I know that in a, in a fairly individualistic culture, where people need appointments for me, for coming or for, for meeting someone, it's, it's a little bit difficult, but that's all the more why people have to make the choice. And, and lastly, for me, it's, it's the God's promises. And, and, and Tracy, there is, a, there is a kind of loneliness that no presence of a human being can fix. Mm. The kind of loneliness that is so deep that you need the one who created you mm. to say, I'm here for you. Hmm. And I think you can look over and over through the scriptures and, and even the name, the name uh, Emmanuel, I am with you. And God knew that that would happen at every point in a person's journey. They will feel alone mm-hmm. and especially for me. And we cannot always seek out people because people will let you down right. at some point. Right. And so seek out God. Is, is the fast, it's the middle, and it's the last thing we must do uh, that will bring all this together. Um, and, and I think my experience on loneliness has taught me, uh, and, and I wish I knew some of this before. Uh, it would have saved me many, uh, many nights right. and many dark times in my leadership. Hmm. My goodness, that, what a beautiful perspective on that. And I love how you brought out the dual nature of, yes, we are coded for attachment. We are made to be in community, but we can only always go back to our maker because we will always let each other down. But it, it, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful way to put how you hit both sides of that. Uh, loneliness is one of the most common struggles of leaders. Yeah. And it's not always obvious to the lonely leader that they are lonely because they are constantly making presentations. Right. They're constantly in the company of right. people. They're constantly being praised. They're constantly being told you're making a difference or without you, this would not happen. And it's easy to feel I am around hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. You are not mm-hmm. until it, it becomes clear to you that you've got to seek it out and ask that question. Am I lonely? And how am I lonely? Right. Well, you know, you bringing that up, I can remember my father and I would have been a teenager. So he would have been, um, 
mid-60s, I mean, it's successful. And I remember coming down to his office one time, and he was just sitting there with his head in his hands, and he was just like, I feel so alone. I'm not sure if this is worth it. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're on stage all over the world. People love you. You're making this happen. But, but it still is that deep, that deep loneliness that you talked about. And the leader has to really take great times to, and we'll hit on this next one, weariness. He obviously was quite weary, the pace of being all those things to all those people. And the next price my father talked about was weariness. And um, if you're not careful, that, that can be quite insidious and sneak up on you and, and, really, and really burn you out. So how do you stay replenished, Richmond, as a leader? How do you, because it is tough and, and we've got these resources. God doesn't call us to do anything that he is not going to equip us to do. But how do you stay constantly recharged and replenished? You know, Tracy, just last week, I hit the bottom rock of weariness. Uh, we were already in a total lockdown as a nation. Mm. People are starving. Children are starving under their roofs. Mm. The government is not providing help. Mm. And in the midst of this massive lockdown that people are confused about, we have this avalanche of rocks that slides down Mount Renzori in Western Uganda. Hundreds of acres are destroyed. Hundreds of, hundreds of acres of food. People's gardens are destroyed. Bridges are torn down. Hospitals are messed up. Everything is utterly destroyed. I remember Pastor Geneva looking at me when I went to visit them. She had no home. She was standing with her six children. She had lost her father. I mean, her husband, uh, four years ago. And Pastor Geneva said, uh, Musumba Richmond, meaning Pastor Richmond, I, I totally thought that it was the end of the world. The, the rocks that broke our house, I, I knew that this is something from heaven that has come down. And, and so here I am listening to Pastor Geneva, and I listen to Pastor Court, and I listen to different individuals, and I'm looking around and, and I'm wondering, there is not enough help in this nation for this kind of situation. Right. Um, there, is, there is physical wreck, but then there is spiritual and social and emotional wreck. And, and that's, that's, that's been these last two months for me, Tracy. Mm -hmm. and, and I was really at that rock bottom. When uh, my, the ministry I lead called Pastors Discipleship Network, um, which exists to bring training to untrained pastors, in order to deepen the church and advance the gospel through healthy churches, we want the church to shine. We want the church to shine so bright that their communities will see that even though this church might be opposed, there is something there that comes from God, and it's love. And, and we, we try to cause the church to shine, and, and many of our pastors have been affected. Their churches had been torn down, and, and we were bringing food and support uh, to these, I mean, several, we had... 486 homes that were destroyed in that immediate community. Mm. Down the river, there was about a thousand homes. And we're talking about 15,000 families that all together were affected in one shape or, or form. And we're trying to bring support and that's ongoing uh, for the next two months. And, and I'm there and it's been nights of call because hotels were not functioning. Electricity lines have been cut down. It, we were just we were there for these weeks, and 
I'm, I'm just wary. You listen to all these stories. And you, even though you consciously make a decision, you're not going to carry it onto yourself. You can't avoid it. Right. Because this is life. This is a person. It's not like you're watching the news. You're listening to lived experiences. And as a leader, you, you weigh. And, and you can't avoid it, though, because the nature of leadership is that you are a shepherd. A shepherd cares about his or her sheep. And, and you can't totally avoid that. The shepherd calling is inescapable. You bear it. You're willing to leave the 99 and look for that one sheep that's lost. That is true leadership. Mm. And you can't but become wary through all that process until you learn to do some things that leaders do in order to not be wary. Mm. And, 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 and I wish I would say I've done a good job with that these past two months. I haven't. Um, because I, I just kept listening to one story after another. I couldn't take a break. Uh, we were distributing food. We're distributing clean water. We're distributing blankets. We are trying to put some makeshift structures for people to stay in. And then people are sick. And none of us is a medical expert. And now we're trying to ask for uh, help from other nonprofit organizations, which for one reason or another are, are either slow or not moving as fast as the need needs them to move. Mm -hmm. um, and so. You, you, I can't. I can't avoid it. But um, uh, I'll tell you uh, what's happened. I, I, you know, and this came from my wife Rosette, who asked me, "Hey, Richmond, um, who is on your team, and are you letting them shine?" Mm -hmm. And and that's an awkward turn to it because it was a weird question. I said. This is not about shining. These are lives, okay? Right. Uh, then my wife made a, a note of, of all the pictures that were on social media, on all the person who was recording all the videos, and that was my face all over all of it. And uh, she said to me, uh, you've got to let Ben, you've got to let um, Martin, you've got to let Rose, you've got to let these people handle what they must handle. Wow. You can't handle it. Wow. And uh, Tracy, sometimes as leaders uh, of no evil intent, we driven by love um, and the tension between what is and what should be, um, we end up sometimes biting more than we can chew. Mm. Or not realizing that we have help that's already supplied. Ben and Rose and Martin, these guys are, are there. They're happy to be stretched. Now, I'm not describing them like they were not doing anything. They were working, but they right. could do a lot better what I was doing. And um, Tracy, I realized that I, I had to take a step back and, and, and kind of look at what, what is the need, what must be done, and what is in my hands, what do I have, who is, who is the team? And the idea, and, and trust me, this, this was magical. And I use the word magical because I have no other word for it. Realizing that, that a team is better than an individual effort. Mm. The two are better than one. Now, this is an old philosophical thought that, uh, and, and again, it was painted metaphorically in the scriptures that one can put a thousand to flight, 
two will put 10,000 to flight. It right. was what rescued me. It's realizing that a team is so much better than you, however gifted or skilled you might think you are. And so I just kind of took a step back. I didn't walk away from the site. I didn't drive back to Kampala, but I just stayed and said, guys, our debrief sessions became more intentional. I, I, I volunteered and said to the team, I'm wary. Yeah. I'm done. Yes. I don't have anything. I have more to give. I have nothing more to give. Mm. And the team was able to pray for me and they said, now here, Richmond, um, well, let's do this. And so we devised a plan, which I wasn't going to see most of the homes. I could just spend enough time with the family and just be and let others do what they were doing. And I, and I wanted to get these stories because I'm, I'm, I'm a shepherd like that. I'm, I'm a pastor at heart. And, and I wanted to pray for these people. And I, I believe in, in the calling of the pastorate. And I believe that as a pastor, you see and understand and practice presence differently uh, mm -hmm. from, from everybody else. And, and I wanted every family to be able to, to benefit from the pastoral calling that was present. And, uh, and that was good, but it was false in, in, in a way that it caused weariness where weariness should not have been. Mm. And Christ gives us wisdom in saying, there is great need, but enter the boat. You boys, enter the boat and let's cross over to the other side. Well, wait, there's all these people that want you to talk to them. All these sick that need to be healed. All these lepers that are being brought to you, get into the boat. Let's cross over to the other side and rest a bit. Wow. And, and, I, and that, that came to me full circle. Wow. And I realized God has given me people. And I might be gifted differently from them, but just taking a step back, it, it causes them to shine. It stretches them. It causes them to step into places they have never been. Mm -hmm. there, is, there is a book by uh, Dave Ferguson called Hero Maker. Uh, and in, in this book, he unpacks this idea that when a person uh, leads in such a way that everything is looking to them to get done, such a person becomes the hero of the company, the hero of the ministry, the hero of the, of the community. Mm -hmm. But that is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that causes weariness. Right. What the goal and the vision of the leader must be is to be a hero maker. And even though you have the solution and the answer, make heroes of others. Wow. Make heroes of others. If you make that your goal, you will be amazed how skill rises up around you. And when you launch this scale, how much more gets done? And uh, so uh, we, we live, Tracy, we live as as, our, as majority of sub-Saharan Africa. Um, we live in a no-vacation culture. I just talked um, when, when we were doing the, the foster research on uh, the need for interim pastors, um, in Uganda, which ministry doesn't exist in our country. Interim pastoring doesn't exist. Um, but we're thinking about launching it, and we did a research under the Foster Foundation on, um, on do we need the interim pastor ministry as a nation? Now, the obvious answer was yes, but that was a hypothesis, and we wanted to test it and 
basically answer the question of contextualization and all of that. Uh, but as we were going that route, we interviewed several pastors and I met a pastor called Malay. And pastor said, look, for 15 years straight, I have not missed a single Sunday preaching. 15 years straight, not vacation, not time away with my wife, preaching straight. And he obviously went and unpacked the reasons for that. Uh, there was a lot of insecurity. Uh, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of belief that he was the only one skilled enough to preach in such a way that no one from the congregation would live. And there were, I mean, there was eight reasons for that. But there was also obviously the poverty, the inability to afford vacation. I mean, there was, there was all these, these things. And the element that came through was it's within, it's not within our culture to plan for vacation. Mm -hmm. And vacation may not be the only answer to it, but it's helpful and it looks differently. And it's not just a matter of planning uh, these some ways to, to let out or to lose yourself or to refill your bucket. Uh, because Tracy, there are many people who go for vacation and they never rest. Right. They come away weary, probably right. even more weary. Because they feel, if I had stayed home, I would have done more emails. And, and, and Tracy, that's, that's where we find ourselves. And, and I, I believe that, um, that, that, that what we've described before, the idea of a team, and not just the, the illusion of a team or the theory or the structure that shows you have teams, but to actually use the teams and make the teams functional, that has been practical for me, and it helped free this past week when I was in Kasese. I, I'm, I'm home now. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this from my house, but right. there's a team back in Kasese that's doing so much more than I had ever done. And so uh, my weariness has, has come down and yes. I wish I knew this before. Um, yes. uh, but yeah, that's, that's extremely important. Oh my God. How far is that from where you're at? Uh, it's eight and a half hours. Oh, okay. So it, it's, it's, it's a, you can't just bug out there and, you know, see what's going no. on. Wow. My goodness, Richard. Thank you for sharing that, that real world about what's going on with weariness and how, boy, it doesn't do any good if we deplete just ourselves. And your wife is so wise. Oh, I'm, I'm so grateful. Uh, and, and that uh, within our culture where sadly most men will not listen to their wives, I'm, I'm very privileged to... Um, to think differently yes. and to, um, to, to benefit from that. Yeah. Um, and and Tracy, the scripture that, that comes to mind is, come unto me, all ye who are tired and heavy laden, mm -hmm. who are weary, and I will give you rest. Mm. Amen. I will give you rest. Um, the, the, the verse in Isaiah that says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Yes. And, that, 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 that I prayed into that verse um, a lot during this week, saying, God, I, I need strength, uh, but we, I need to wait on you. I mean, everything in me says, run now, go back to Kasese. But strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And, and we've got to go back because he's yeah. our maker. Beautiful. It's like taking a car that's driven hard and, and gone through these bad roads, and you take it back to its maker. And, and they're able to change the oil. They're able to diagnose it right. Because there's potential that if you leave this car to kind of self-diagnose, 
it might diagnose itself wrongly. Right. <laughs> and, and that's, that's mostly the well, case. Well, we've been and, known to do that, haven't <laughs> we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you covered loneliness, weariness. Now, the next price that my father talked about is abandonment. And he, when he would talk about abandonment, he would say, look, we need to stop uh, thinking about what we want and like to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. So th for him, abandonment was really this kind of real hyper-focus about, listen, um, when you see what has been put before you as a leader, you need to track and stay on point so you don't get into this mission drift. So how do you yeah. stay, Richmond, with everything going on? And, you know, you mm -hmm. didn't expect this, the, the, the rock to happen. You know, there's natural disasters, this pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, unprecedented things. How do you still stay focused on what you need to stay focused on? Tracy, I do think that a lot of mission drift that happens all people abandoning their post and getting caught up in all other things sometimes yes. starts from the very beginning of the effort or the endeavor that they embark on. Um, Simon Sinek talks about this idea of starting with why. And I think that that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, if a person doesn't start with why, and if it's just a good idea or an opportunity to make money, or an opportunity to look good or to act responsible or to be accepted. And, and that's the reason someone is in a CEO or in a company or in a leadership position um, or because of, their, because of their skill. A skill is not good enough. Skill is not good enough to, to keep you afloat when the storm comes. Mm. It, it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Most people will shift through um, several, several seasons of um, of the temptation to drift from mission. And they will sift through that. Um, and if they haven't answered the question of why, um, chances are very high that they'll abandon their pulse. Mm. And uh, it will not be the kind of abandonment. Give yourself mind, soul, spirit, and body. And tell it to something until it's a clear why for me. I'll tell you how I, I, I give myself to Pastors Discipleship Network. I mentioned in the beginning that I'm an accountant by training and I was earning a good salary. And, um, and I felt God was calling me to help bring health back to the church by training pastors. And I believed deeply that a trained pastor will lead a, 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 a sorry, that a healthy pastor will lead a healthy church. Mm -hmm. And that a healthy church will give birth to a healthy community. Mm -hmm. And a healthy community has the potential to lead to a healthy nation. And, and I wanted to make a dent in, 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 in history, um, at least of my nation, uh, by, by training one healthy pastor. And, um, and I began to think about that, uh, but it, it wasn't strong enough. It wasn't strong enough, just having the vision to or produce healthy pastors uh, so that they can produce healthy churches and so that they can produce um, healthy communities and thereby healthy nations. That was not strong enough. Um, I knew that 
um, I would constantly look back into the Egypt of accounting, so to speak, and saying, look, as, as a person trying to raise money and now the donations are going low and now this, this, this staff member is annoying or this person is this and the government policy is not in my favor and now there's this, all this going on, I, I realized it wasn't strong enough mm. until I began to look again at my community. I looked at my community with different eyes. Okay. I said, what is really the problem? What's going on? Why do churches in my community not have the influence that the Bible promises they should have if they follow Christ? Why is there such brokenness and the church is helpless to help? Why is there such depravity in the presence of all these churches in my community. Mm-hmm. Why is everyone walking past the church? And, and, I, and I said, no, if I, I can make a small contribution to changing this so churches can become more healthy, so churches can become more efficient and more effective, then my brother, my sister, my relatives, my friends, these children that, I'm, that I care about deeply will know a God who loves them. We will not continually have a Sunday schools of, uh, where children come in all these numbers and they go away empty, not having met the one who died for them. Right. We will not have people walk one hour to church and have a pastor show up on Sunday morning and because he's not prepared and he's praying, God, I know that you speak. Give me the Holy Spirit. Give me a word for this Sunday. And if God says nothing, he asks the worship team to sing one other song and one more song. And now he's getting embarrassed. And he gets up and tells people, hold your chairs and lift them up because I sense God's going to do something today. And at the end of the day, God's not done that. Yeah. And people are walking away saying, God lied? Did the pastor lie? Did he hear from God? Is this really a man of God? And, and we're having all these things going on in our community. I said, that has to stop. Mm. And then my, my why became clear to me that it's not just about programs. It's about people. It's mm. about making this world a better place. It's about what happens when one pastor is trained and equipped. And, 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 and I began to, to, to tear up just thinking about what I was uh, uh, processing and I'm looking at all these faces. And, and I began, I think, remotely to encounter what Christ must have felt when he looked at Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as he walked into Jerusalem and he saw Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, if you would only know the day of your visitation. That, that, that uh, he looked at them and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Tracy, I looked at the people in my community and I saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd in the midst of all these churches. And I said, no, we will produce one healthy pastor if we work hard. And if by God's grace, we work a little bit more, we'll produce two healthy pastors and then three. And if by grace, we can produce five, this community will not remain the same. And that why caused this abandonment to occur. And uh, we've had many challenges. We've had resistance from Muslims. We've had resistance from pastors who feel they are prospering in their prosperity gospel, that they don't need any training from us. We've had all kinds of resistance, but we've stayed on task. And that abandonment has happened because a why became clear. And Tracy, so, I mean, uh, so I don't want to go too, too much to level this, but, but that abandonment 
happens when someone finds their why, when the tension between what is and what should be becomes so intense that it, it, it consumes them and it, it forces them to say, for this, I'm willing to lay down my life. Okay, I, I, I've never heard it explained like that, Richmond. That was absolutely beautiful. I mean, because like you said, everything, it, it's good it, it, to want to train, but, but drilling into the why and getting into that and seeing the people as Christ would, brother, that was absolutely, you really helped me with a lot of things that I've been struggling with too. Thank you for that. My goodness. Well, maybe just one thing to add is, the, the, the idea of doing too much uh -huh. or spreading one so thin, uh, I think fails the calling of a leader unto abandonment. It, it, it does fail that because you become like little butter spread on too much bread. And everybody's eating a piece of you and testing a piece of your words and all that, but they don't quite feel the impact. Mm. And, and I think that... Um, Abandonment is, is a topic all leaders must engage with uh, and, and go deeply with it. How given am I to this that I've been uh, persuaded is my calling in life? And that question must be answered. Wow. Okay. So the last one that he talks about then is vision. The fourth price of leadership is vision. My father referred to vision as simply knowing where you're going. And you talked about that in abandonment and then seeing yeah. what needs to be done and doing it. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm not a visionary. I'm not, I don't get that call from on high, but my father was very much, look, if, if, if you know what, you, what your why is, you just, you execute. Cause I think a lot of people have these lofty plans, but they never execute. They never integrate. So how, how do you, how do you uh, flesh out your vision, Richmond? How do you share that? How do you hone that? Well, first, let me state, Tracy, that vision or vision clarity uh, for that matter is probably one of the most important things uh, for a leader Agreed. to engage with, wrestle with, articulate. Right. And I wish I would say that once it's clear, uh, you don't need to visit it again. <laughs> Thank no, you for saying that. Thank you very much uh, for saying that. Mm -hmm. You've got to go back to it. Uh, my practice, Tracy, is every six months, I okay. take off two days and I go to Prayer Mountain and I have a vision statement. Uh, and it's not just the statement, but it's also what the statement means. And, and I have that, and I have to go back to it. I, I sometimes go by myself or sometimes with my wife or sometimes with some of the leaders and just like, man, is, do we still feel as passionate about this as, as the beginning? And, um, and that has helped me uh, because all too often, Tracy, vision suffers the same fate as motivation and as anything you can think about because all those things leak. Vision leaks. Motivation leaks. You, you could motivate your people. You can uh, put everything in place to keep them motivated. Come back after three weeks and one is whining about something. Um, it's, it's, it leaks. Vision it's, leaks. Yep. And I wish I would say it doesn't leak for the leader. It does. Even for the leader. After you have gone a long way and you've encountered all these challenges or even the opposite. If you have succeeded way more than you thought, that alone can lead for vision to leak out of you because you atrophy, you, um, 
you you get content and you get lazy and you get um, prideful and you get to feel like uh, it's cheap uh, and and um, and so vision leaks. I think that's so important to realize vision leaks. And if vision can leak for the leader, how much more this subordinates? And so uh, re-envisioning. I know companies that practice re-envisioning uh, their entire team and staff every first month of the year. But I contend that that's not enough. That vision has to be constantly poured back into the staff okay. throughout the year. And that's different for every staff, depending on, on sometimes how vision statements are put um, on, uh, on walls or how staff are recruited or the orientation program. Or, I mean, there are many ways different companies do it to make sure that people know the why and why, why they exist. Um, but, but vision um, has to be revisited, especially by the leader. Mm. Because the world is changing at a rate nobody would have seen 15 or 20 years ago. Ministries that exist to solve particular problems could find themselves hanging in the balance or like a cartoon character of a house flying in the air from one top of the hill to some place. Why? Because the community is changing. And I'll, I'll give you an example here that... Um, uh, the ministries uh, in Uganda that existed um, to uh, create uh, water, water boreholes, okay? And let's say that's their vision, to create water boreholes for all communities in the country of Uganda. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, new technology has come through to Uganda that now piped water is reaching communities that were not dreams to have be be to be able to be reached in uh, before 2030. Wow. And so if a ministry, uh, let's say water was what they were about, they've got to begin to think differently because uh, their strategic plan has just fallen through. Right. Uh, right. They do well to read uh, the article, The Death of Strategic Plans. I mean, it, it's, it has just gone, gone under. And, and so the leader has to constantly ask the question, are we still relevant? Is this problem still existent and particularly in the way that we perceived at the beginning? And, and they have to update their vision. I know that uh, there's, there's a church in Australia called Hillsong's Church. And in 2015, they produced a new vision statement. And everyone was confused by that because they thought vision doesn't change. And all literature, most literature says that vision doesn't change. But we must not write that on rock. Right. Because literature has reasons maybe for that such a strong claim. But we've got to look at it again and say, under what circumstances, and we've got to put the twist into that, under what circumstances can vision change? And how do we need to redefine this? And I think any, um, any, any board of trustees or any president or founder who thinks, oof, we, we, we did a good job, what, smithing the vision statement. Ooh, two days of thinking and man, I'm so glad we had this person on the team and that person on the team who is good with their words and look at this fine vision statement. 
such a person will be awakened mm-hmm. when they realize that they would have done better to constantly look at that vision. Because if the vision statement is not relevant anymore, or if it is not as relevant as it was in the past, then you're likely to suffer four things. Mm-hmm. One, passion. As the leader and the, uh, and, and the teams or team, team heads or team leads and everybody down will suffer in their passion if their vision that painted their why is found wanting. And this is not just a matter of wordsmithing. It's constantly revising it. But apart from passion, they'll also suffer from motivation because everyone needs a drive. And while people are at, in some stage of their motivation driven by money or reward or punishment, ultimately, why comes through? People want jobs that are meaningful. And, and if it's not meaningful anymore, you don't have them. You may have their bodies, but you don't have their souls and their st- so full soul strength. Mm. And then direction because people want to ask the question where are we going Mm -hmm. i remember the old statement or story of this person who was found sweeping uh in a company that was trying to make a rocket and he was asked hey what are you doing say hey um i'm putting a man on on the moon (laughs) i'm putting a man on the moon you're sweeping for crying out loud yeah I'm putting him on the, on the moon. And it's, it's that idea that drives them. It gives them passion and motivation and direction. And I think the more we can have that, recognizing that vision makes people constantly being a vision uh, that's helpful. And obviously purpose comes through and naturally there. Uh, I mentioned in the beginning, people want purpose in their life. And, um, and, and, and it's tough to lead an organization. It's mm-hmm. tough to belong to any organization because uh, you suffer whatever that organization suffers. But if the vision is clear, uh, from the top to the bottom, everybody positions themselves to embrace it. And I've seen that often in our own organization. Um, we, we had the time when we, we suffered a very strong financial hit. And part of it was due to the economy and part of it was due to some changes we had made in our programming and uh, the communication wasn't clear and we just ended up suffering uh, through, um, through this time financially. And, and that, that's actually an, an, an older story. And I'll end with uh, a more new story with how the COVID-19 has affected Pastors Discipleship Network right now. But in that old story, uh, we were at that point when motivation went down. Mm. Uh, we told people they had to take salary cuts. And we told people that, look, we will not have the supplies that you had to do your job. So figure out a way, revisit your budget uh, Mm -hmm. and stretch out to achieve your goals. And um, we we were at a very hard place. And unfortunately for me as the leader, Tracy, um, I hadn't looked at vision again. And I myself was asking questions and people could see me walking around mopping and feeling like, something God, uh, you do something. And, um, and that was a very tough time, a very, very dark time of our ministry uh, because vision had leaked uh, out and people were not just mm. purpose, why, motivation, uh, the drive, all that was going. And people were just not very willing to take um, uh, salary cuts. And I remember one of our, our workers who I really, really appreciated uh, said to us that, look, they were going to try 
uh, it on their own and try to start a farm. And, and I knew that their skill is not farming. They, they knew they belonged to, to pastors, discipleship, no, but they went out to do a farm. And, uh, and I, I just, my heart I ached uh, when this staff member uh, was lost. But, uh, but, but that's what happens. Uh, and, 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 and the reason I say it would have been different uh, if people were envisioned and uh, consumed with the why, and the reason I say it would have been different is because I've seen what has happened during this COVID situation. Uh, Trishti, as you know, we, we as Pastors Discipleship Network exist uh, to, to try bring training to untrained pastors in order to deepen the church and advance the gospel through healthy churches. And um, a part of how we do that, Tracy, is that we, we, we invite teams that are coming from the United States. And Tracy, you, you are invited to come to Uganda as one of our experts who came from the States to, to help our, our women leaders get more grounded and, and to go forth with more strength. And uh, we've got 100% cancellations of all the guests, of all the teams that were coming from the US and coming from Australia, all of them done. And it's from these guests and the apportionment of how uh, the resources are planned that we're able to support our staff members in salary. That's how we're able to pay health insurance. That's how we're able to, uh, by the support of these teams. And with these teams counseling and they themselves suffering financially, we have taken a hit right now of up to $300,000. Mm-hmm. And we've got to now figure out how do we sustain the 27 staff members, the 85 regional coordinators, and it's going on and program, okay, mm-hmm. through this season. Extremely difficult, extremely difficult. And we pulled the staff members together and we said, look, two things we're requesting of you. One is that you will understand where we are, but two, that you will not abandon your post. And so we shared, this is why we exist. And we need you to be able to work with us through this season. And yeah. Tracy, Staff members willingly took salary cuts. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Staff members willingly said, look, um, in as far as NSSF is concerned, so NSSF is almost like insurance money that we're obligated to pay. They decided that we were going to be relieved of of these several months of paying NSSF. Mm. They decided that we are going to stretch whatever resources we have to make sure that our pastors don't feel abandoned. Our frontline uh clients or pastors that are out there in the island serving don't feel abandoned simply because we have no budget. And, and so, Tracy, I just, I mean, the kind of buy-in that kind of brought me to tears. I just like, oh, this is unbelievable. It's so beautiful to see, Tracy, the people willing. It's amazing what people can endure when they have a why. Yes. When they have a and um, Tracy, so that's where we are. We're doing the best that we can. Um, but I've just been so pumped up and motivated uh, by our staff members and the decisions they have made. Well, that is true leadership, Richmond, and that is not surprising. So anything else? You have covered the loneliness, the weariness, the abandonment, and the vision. And just unpack these in a way that I just know our, our, our listeners are just going to be so blessed by and be able to really help them get through some breakthroughs. Anything else that you have not touched on, Richmond, that you would want to share with our listeners? Well, um, we, we are in a time that is extremely difficult uh, globally. Mm-hmm. And um, Uganda has felt 
the heat probably harder than most other countries. Right. And not directly from the COVID-19 deaths, but from the total lockdown and its effects. And um, I would ask people to uh, connect to countries that are not their own, find out what's going on, and maybe you can uh, be helpful. You maybe can. you can yes. uh, make a difference, yes. the kind of difference would not make if you did not know. Right. Uh, Uganda is going through it right now. Pastors Discipleship Network, my ministry, is doing its best, but we are stretched. And um, I think the more people can engage, uh, they will cease to be so just bogged down by what's happening in their immediate locale. But right. they will engage things that are more meaningful out there. And, and I think uh, Pastors Discipleship Network, Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania. But I think uh, because this is my context, I'll talk about Uganda. Uh, we need as much encouragement and um, different forms of interventions that like I wouldn't have the words to describe. Well, and uh, for the listeners, um, when I went there, you know, we have so many things in the States. If there's a, a disruption in benefits or work or whatever, there's things that carry you. That's not how it works over there. Okay. And no. I can remember when I was there, people would be up at the crack of dawn, sweeping, working. Not only are they the friendliest people, but they are the most industrious people. Because if you don't get out and work, you don't eat. So if you, you can't don't. work, you don't eat. And I just, I just, there's so many for our listeners out there, uh, just even a hundred dollars a month, what that does, what that brings. And Richmond, tell, tell them how they can get a hold of you and connect with you and just some of the other uh, resources or people that you know out there, just, just what giving can do. Yeah. Um, first of all, a lot of um, what we are doing is on pdnafrica.org pdnafrica.org. Um, that's, that's my website and that's uh, the ministry's website. Uh, please uh, learn of what we're doing at that space. And then, um, uh, Tracy, I'd be happy to, to share um, how people can get a hold of me. Um, uh, richmondug at gmail.com. richmondug at gmail.com. Uh, please get in touch and uh, learn more of how God's working in this place and how uh, the partnership opportunities that exist and just how we can go through this together. Yes, absolutely. What a beautiful way to wrap this up, Richmond. God bless you, brother. Just thank you so much. It has been far too long since we have connected. And I'm glad we yes, both came together at a time where we were both kind of on the little bit on the down low, like, like we really needed this, you know, to, to kind of convene and commune and um, you know, just, just thank you for your heart, for sharing, for your, for your ministry, for what you're doing out there for people and just for reorienting our attitude towards um, everything that we're going through. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. And uh, for all the people that will listen in, thank you so much for uh, being part of the tremendous um, journey. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> all right. All right, Dr. Richmond. Well, God bless you. And Lord willing, I'll be back out there. Uh, who knows? Maybe even this year. I mean, I just, I had such a wonderful time. I miss you guys so much. That was just incredible. I have to bring my husband now that I'm married. He would <laughs> we love it. Wait. Uh, I'll feed you with our African foods and um, I can almost guarantee a little bit of more weight, but you will, you'll deal with that when you go back. <laughs> oh, thank we you. love 
I love it. All right, brother. Well, listen, if you like what you heard to our listeners out there, please hit the subscribe. Please also reach out to Richmond Wandera, Dr. Wandera, and learn more about the tremendous work that he's doing on the other side of the world. And just thank you guys for listening. Be sure and hit the subscribe. And if you would do us the honor of a rating, we would be so thankful. So thank you to our listeners and have a tremendous day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.